We're using, we're using books by, uh, of course, John MacArthur being the main, and, and also there's a Roger Rayburn, who's a doctor, was a doctor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and has a has a book on Peter that I'm using, and I'm using uh, J. Vernon McGee. He got a real good commentary. I love his books. Hit the top like a stone over the over the waters. And there's two or three more. I didn't write their names down, but I will as time goes on. The book of Peter, uh, Peter's name was Cephas or Simon in the Bible. You know, Peter is the, uh, that name is only, there's only one man in the New Testament had that name, Peter. And, and uh, I mean, all the New Testament. And, and uh, Peter's links doctrine in his book with practice or behavior. They're tied together. And, and, uh, he starts off with, with, um, in the first two verses of, of using a, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Triune God. But our text this morning is, is verse one and two of chapter one uh, of First uh, Peter, First Epistle of Peter. It says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. The Father through sanctification of the Spirit. There's God the Father and they got the Spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit. And unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. You got Father, Son, Holy Spirit, praise the Lord. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Uh, so the essence of, of, of salvation, if you will, as Potter begins his letter, is to emphasize here to, to those to whom he, to these whom he's writing to. Uh, uh, that, that they're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, uh, the Father. And thus Peter takes a theological plunge into really, it's a very deep uh, theological uh, uh, work on God's part, and for us to study it for sure, right at the beginning of his letter. And, and, and I believe the, the lesson for us as we're beginning in the book, it, it, it deals with, the, you know the, the the subject of of election, but also being chosen by God. You know, just election and being chosen by God. And 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 there's a as a gifted Bible teacher that a lot of brothers hate, but really gifted Bible teacher A. W. Pink, uh, who, who I'll be using some of Pink's stuff also. Uh, he died in 1952, the year my wife was born. She had nothing to do with it. But the year, the, year the uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it. She's going to kill me. But the year that David Pink passed away, and and, uh, and and one of his sermons began on this. He said, I'm going to speak tonight about one of the most hated doctrines in the Bible, namely that God has sovereign election. And, and he, he's right, it's a hated doctrine. And, and, and he later wrote these words. Uh, he said, God's sovereign election is the truth most loathed and reviled by the majority of those claiming to be believers. He said, let it be plainly announced that salvation originated not in the will of men, but in the will of God. And were it not so, none, none could be saved, for as a result of the fall of man, man has lost all desire and will unto that which is good, and even the elect themselves have, have to be made willing. We have to be made willing. And loud and, and, and loud will be the cries of indignation against such teaching. He says. Then he says, merit mongers, 
will not allow the supremacy of the divine will and the impotency of the man's will. And consequently, they, they who are the most bitter in denouncing the election, the election by the sovereign pleasure of God, are the warmest in crying up to the free will of fallen men. And what he's saying is hard for some people to accept the biblical doctrine of sovereign election. And it's hard for a man to acknowledge the fact that salvation is an, it's an act of God. And in our fallenness, he, he, you know, he want, he re, I mean, we, we want to re, assume some responsibility, even if it's a small responsibility, I mean, uh, for having believed. And we want some credit desperately for having made the right choice. And, and the doctrine of election seems repulsive because by our standards, it seems unfair that God should, out of this world of human beings, choose some in his own discretion to be saved, but not the rest. And, 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 and we understand, I mean, I, I, the, the, the reason man so desperately wants to have a part is because in his fallenness, he really wants to exercise his pride. And, and so we can, we can eliminate that as a real issue. It's, it's only an expression of fallenness well, what about the part about being unfair? You know, God seems to be unfair. Is God unfair? Has God ever been unfair? No. No, God, no, God never is. He, he can't be measured by human standards. Certainly not by the human standard of fairness, which is a reflection of, what's that reflection of our fairness? Our fallenness. Can you be unfair to something you made? Sorry, I don't hear very good, bud. Can you be unfair to something that you made? Yeah. Well, he's a creator. That's the other part. Can the, the clay talk back to the, to the maker? So we're, we're so foolish just to assume that, that we who are fallen, I appreciate that, bud, and we're sinful creatures, that we could have a higher standard of, of, of what's right than, a, than an unfallen, infinitely and eternally holy, holy, holy God. And what kind of pride is that? And, and therein lies the real problem. In Psalm 97.2, righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. In other words, justice is the foundation of his throne. And, and, and that, that's to say whatever God does proceeds from a base, the base of his righteousness and his justice. And it may not be human righteousness and human justice, but it's divine. And, and in, in those familiar words of Isaiah 55, 8, 9, my life verses, <laughs> my, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. I mean, we're in no position as fallen creatures to determine whether God does what's just and fair. I mean, we, we've stepped out of the bounds, out of our bounds, I believe, when, when we say that God does anything that isn't fair. I hear people say that. What is divine justice then? It's an essential attribute of God, okay? And, and it, it belongs to his very essence, and whereby he is infinitely and perfectly just in himself. For himself, from himself, 
by himself and none other. None other. James Usher, uh, I'm using him as a source also, uh, wrote that the source of God's justice is his own free will and nothing else. And for what what for whatsoever he wills is just, and because he wills it, therefore it's, it is just. Not because it is just, therefore he wills it. It's not that it's just and he wills it. It's that he, because he willed it is just. Yes. Yes. I mean, we understand that. I mean, a thing that is just because God wills it. He doesn't will it because human standards would set the standard. Yes, right. God sets the standard. Yes. And, and divine justice is an entirely different order and character than human justice. If you've ever gone through court system, you'll realize that, how, how awful our, our system of justice can be. But justice isn't the issue anyway. You, you, you don't want to talk too long about justice when you talk about salvation because if, if God gives us all justice, we'll all be sent to hell. And you see, the Creator owes nothing to the creature, not even the, not even what He graciously is pleased to give us to the elect. He doesn't owe that. How then could God be called unjust when whatever He does is just? The fact that He elected certain ones to be saved when they didn't deserve it anyway, I mean, how could that be unjust? Salvation is never a matter of justice. It's always a matter of grace, pure grace. We really don't want to try to figure this thing out beyond the, the standpoint of is it fair. God did it. That makes it just. God did that. I mean, God sets the standard of what's just, and if we don't understand what God does, that doesn't mean he doesn't live up to our standard. That means our standard doesn't live up to his standard. He's God. Now, looking at the doctrine of election, really there's no better, more condensed section of Scripture than 1 Peter. I really, uh, and Peter, that's why I asked Peter, Pastor, last week, Peter, if we could start Peter. Uh, I don't want to be too divisive. I don't want to be divisive at all. Don't let the Bible speak for itself. Peter, frankly, gets to the thick of theology right off of the starting block here, and he, he's, he's not even out of the first verse hardly before he, he, he introduces elect. And, and then he launches into a real brief, but really it's a profound statement about the essence of election. The very essence of election. And he addresses his readers. And it, it's his intention in these first two verses to uh, identify them as the one who God, who, who are the chosen of God. And he, he identifies them in first two ways when he looks at them, as, as he's talking to them and writing to them. He, he identifies them in, in, in relation to the, their place on earth. And, and then secondly, he identifies them as to their relation to their place in heaven. He's talking, this is, and so as far as earth goes, they, they reside scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, and, and as far as heaven goes, they're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit and unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So he identifies the earthly identification as well as their heavenly as well. And the readers to whom Paul writes are said to be residing as aliens, strangers. The word stranger. We know a lot about aliens. We're learning a lot about aliens in our country. 
they're strangers, and they were scattered. These, these ones are scattered throughout Pontius Galatia, again, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. So we really need to understand who Paul, Peter's writing this epistle to. Some take it only for the Jews. That's incorrect. That's incorrect. This is, and I'll share with you why that's incorrect. We need a, you know, the word scattered is the word diaspora in the Greek. And, and again, it's diaspora means dispersion. In the Gospels, it's a technical term for the dispersion of the Jews. They go through the Gospels. They were dispersed throughout the world. It's that, used that way in John 7.35. It's, it's also used that the Jews scattered throughout the world in James 1.1. 1, 1. Peter's not using it here in the technical way, though. Such as James does. And in and, 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 and chapter 1, verse 17, he's referring to these people scattered. He says, if, 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 you, if, you, if you address the fathers... Make sure I've got... You call on the Father who, without respect of person, judges the court in every man's work. Pass the time of your sojourning here with fear. He says, you know, the, the, the implication is that your earthly duration, your sojourn, your earthly duration, uh, your earthly stay, which leads us to believe he's talking to, about people who are not so much strangers in, in an alien in an alien culture as they were strangers in an alien earth. Strangers that are alien to earth itself. In chapter 2, verse 11, he said, Beloved, I urge you as, as aliens and pilgrims, again, strangers, pilgrims, to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And, and again, the strangers and pilgrims are... are, are to be the person who's in, in the environment that's foreign to their nature uh, and, and is doing war against his soul. So he's not concerned to talk about a Jew who's na national, national, nationally an alien. He's not. They, they, Peter was to the Jews. That's also gets confused. Because Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Paul was to the Gentiles. But Peter's talking to all believers here. Um, so he, he, he's got a much wider, I mean, he's concerned to talk about a believer who's spiritually an alien, a much wider audience, and, and it, it would include some Christian Jews as well as Gentiles, of course, because the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles, yeah. one, new, one new man. The Jews, perhaps at this time, were in the minority, I'm not sure. They started out the majority. But we assume that in the Gentile provinces to which this epistle was addressed, the Jews would be a minority. Um, so what he's saying is not to you Jews who are scattered throughout alien countries. He's not saying that. But to you Christians who are aliens on the earth, you are true aliens and strangers and pilgrims. You don't belong here. Amen. The church is a group of strangers scattered throughout the world away from their true home. In Philippians 3.3, 3, Paul says, We Gentile Christians, all of us in the church, Jew and Gentile, the whole church, we are the circumcision of a spiritual nature. And, and I think Peter is saying, we're the scattered, the diaspora in a spiritual sense. It's a spiritual sense. It includes every believer. So the idea that he's writing to believers who are in the world are aliens and strangers. He's addressing the church at 
It's simply that. He's addressing the church, the church in Pontius, church in Galatia, uh, the, 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 the church in Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those are provinces, by the way. Those are all provinces. They occupy what was known today as, the, the, as Turkey. Turkey occupies that space today. But, and they were part of the, uh, the Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire, in the time of Peter. But he's writing to Christians scattered out these Roman provinces, and the letter had a really wide audience. And in those provinces, there'd be a number of churches. And, and, and we know in, in the province of Asia, for example, there were at least seven or eight churches in Asia that Peter's writing to. So the, the seven churches in Asia received letters from the Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And, and there were other churches in Asia, like Colossae, not, not mentioned in Revelation. So there may have been a number of churches in Pontus, a number of churches in Cappadocia, a number of churches in Bithynia as well. You know, Christians scattered as aliens in a foreign land, namely the unregenerate world. So Peter's writing to a lot of folks, and why such a wide audience? Because the persecution had come against the Christians at this time, the Roman Empire. Rome, Nero was uh, hanging Christians up to light his garden, he was dipping them in tar, hanging them up in his, in his garden, and burning them alive to keep his garden lit. And he'd set Rome on fire. He, he, Nero had come to the point that he, he was a builder. He wanted to build it. Everything had been built up in Rome, and it, it, he, wanted to, he wanted to be a builder, so he burnt Rome down so he could build it back, and he blamed it on the Christians. And he brought tremendous persecution upon the Christians. And they're paying the price, and they're suffering. So he writes it if, if, as if to embrace them in, in his epistle, which teaches them, teaches them how to, and us how to face suffering in a triumphant way. Even more than the relationship to the earth is a relationship to heaven. I, I, I'm looking forward to reading the book about heaven Pastor has mentioned in the service that he's read through and he's sharing. I think we're going we're to buy a copy to, to read. We really need to prepare to go to our future home, really. We should be preparing for that. And... and the thing he wants them most to know is that they're chosen by God and he wants them to grasp. It's a really a tremendously comforting reality. In the, in the midst of their persecution, as they might be questioning a lot of things. I mean, we haven't, we're, we're, we're looking at it. It hasn't happened yet. We know it's going to come. We read the book, the last chapter. We know what's happening. But they are chosen of God. And so at the end of verse 1, he says, to those who who reside as strangers scattered and who are chosen. Um, and, and the word strangers who are chosen, strangers, it means aliens. They were they're dispersed in a land not their own. Uh, it can mean temporary residents, it can mean foreigners. Either way, they were, they were temporary residents, they were foreigners. And, and, and theirs was a city not, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Theirs was, was a, only a temporary stay on earth uh, until they were called to Zion, the eternal Zion, which is above, you know, the writer of Hebrews calls it. The aliens, the church, the redeemed, I kind of have a sympathetic heart for all these people that are being forced to come up into our country as aliens. 
Uh, so many different factions working, you're gonna see which one wins, the, one, the ones that want war, the ones that want civil unrest, the one, what, you know, whatever, ones, you know. Who's gonna win this? We, we know the Lord wins, he's in charge. But these aliens, the church redeemed, the believers were, they're elect. Uh, to call out to, to call out ones, it's it's a it's a verbal adjective here, ad, and it means to pick out or to to select, and and you could, you could translate it either this way. I mean, they're choice aliens. These are select aliens. It's a term. It's it's a term for all Christians, is what it is. The chosen are the, are the, the saved are the chosen. And and it, it's a it's a term in the Old Testament Israel. It identifies them in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 7, verse 6. He says, You're a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And we, we, we really better understand that. Um, God wasn't sitting up in heaven saying, I hope some nation's going to believe in me. And choose me. No, out of all the people on earth, he says, I chose you, Israel. Yeah. You're mine elect. Deuteronomy 7, also Deuteronomy 14, 2, for you are holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all peoples who are on the face of the earth. He repeats the same thing again and again. Chosen. Now, Psalm 105, 43 calls Israel the chosen ones. Psalm 135, 4 says, for the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. He's chosen Israel for his own possession. Israel, Israel is elect. And, and you say, well, is that true of also the church? God hasn't changed his plan. Yeah, yeah yes. They're not the, part of the chosen, are they? God hasn't changed his method. When they came out of, the, when they came out of Egypt, how many of them were believers? They put up that golden calf real quick. Um, no, he hasn't, God hasn't changed his method. The Old Testament said, no man seeks after God. That's Old Testament. Old Testament says there's none righteous. No, no, not one. God chose his people, Israel, to be by his own free choice. And so he does the church. And, 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 and we're the elect. Back in Matthew 24, I'm going to go ahead and just... I'm, can, I, can I indulge faster? Back in Matthew 24, verse 22, the thought is, Jesus says, unless those days should be shortened. That's the, the days of the great tribulation. Cut short, he said, no life would be saved. He says, but for the sake of the who? Of the elect. Those days will be cut short. Well, who in the world they elect? Well, the believers. Verse 24, false Christ, false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders that so as to mislead, if possible, even who? The elect. The chosen, the believers. He can't deceive us. He can almost get you. He can't get you. So it's, it's a term of for believers, for Christians. In, in, in verse 31, he sends forth his angels with a great trumpet at, 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 at the second coming, they're going to gather together his what? His elect from the four, from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. If, if you want to flip over to Luke's gospel with me, 
I've got a couple, just a couple verses that I love on this. And Luke 8, 17 says, Now shall God bring forth, bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and, and, and will he delay long over them? And then Romans 8, 33, I love this. We, I'm not sure we all have mis- memorized probably the whole chapter of Romans 8, Romans 8, 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Colossians 3.12, I mean, we're elect. We're the elect. You're, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You, you've, you've repented of your sin. You've asked him to save you. You're the elect. And, and so Colossians 3.12, and so as those who've been elect of God, chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and so forth. You, you've been chosen of God to be holy, beloved, and he determined to set his love upon you. Um... 2 Timothy 2.10, Paul says, For this reason, I endure all things, uh, all the things in my ministry for the sake of, for the elect's sake, is what he says. He went through all the suffering for the elect's sake, who are chosen that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. Paul, why aren't you preaching like that? Why are you letting them beat you and put you in prison? I want the elect to be saved. He says, I'm doing my evangelistic ministry to bring the gospel to the elect, to the chosen. We don't know who they are, by the way. There's no stripe on their back. Titus, when, when Paul writes that letter, he, he couldn't say it any, any more straightforward. Paul, it says, Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect. Second John, the little epistle, which describes the church as, as, the, as the chosen lady. The elect lady, and Second John one and Second John thirteen says the children of our of your elect sister greet you. Two churches, both elect. See, when Peter says I'm writing to the elect of God or the chosen, he means the believers. He doesn't mean the, the Jews here. He means the believers in Christ. The term elect or chosen is synonymous with Christian. Synonymous with saved. It's synonymous with born again. Are you elect? Yes. Have you been born again? Yes. It's the same thing. And and the rich reality of that term comes really to it should remind us that we're chosen of God. You want to get puffed up a little bit? You're chosen of God. He he made the choice, not us. What Peter's saying is, I, I think it's wonderful. What he's saying is, he's persecuted Chris. Hey, you you may not be the choice of the world. Okay, by the way, you not be what, be what the world says is, is a cat's meow. I don't know if we can grab that. Um, but we are the choice of God, Almighty God, Creator God, Eternal God. And it's comforting. It's a rich reality. And, and it, it was intended to be an encouragement to these persecuted Christians, okay? And... and, and uh, I've got a list of, of things that, that uh, of elements from John MacArthur's outline uh, of First Peter. Of, of um, he, there's a list of elements or parts of election. There are different parts, and so I, I'll start by just with the first first one. Maybe get to the second. We got seven or eight minutes. But the the nature of our election. 
These would be what you would, how you would identify elections. What is the nature of election? It's so rich. The nature of election, verse 1, elect according or chosen. I mean, verse 2, Paul says you're, you're a chosen. Chapter 2, verse 9, he says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people for God's own possession there. You're, you're a chosen race. We're, we're a Christian because we've been chosen by, to be one by God. God chose that. That's what the Bible says. It's the chosen who are the saved, and the term, it means to select, it means to pick out, to pick, call out from among. P Peter's simply saying the Christians are people whose God chosen to belong to himself, and, and, and that's the nature of election. And the nature of election is God has chosen his people to belong to him, and we're that people. God chooses people out of the world to belong to him. Acts 15, 14. Yes, Simon Peter there uh, before the council of Jerusalem. Simon Peter has related to them how, how God at first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his own name. God's whole plan is to take out a people to choose a people. And, and some of us, I know we... We resist it. I mean, I've resisted this so hard. Resist it. Say, well, wait a minute. You mean we're just chosen? And 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 when we fight and we fight against that, I mean, our fallenness fights th that because we think that in some part it depended on us. If my salvation depended on me, I'm not getting there. That's and that's pride. We also like to think, well, it sounds unfair. I mean, I mean and that's pride saying that. That's unfair. God, I'll straighten you out when I get to heaven. I mean, we, we don't understand what fair is. We have to retreat to faith. Yeah. I can't explain the Trinity. Maybe, I don't have anybody really that can. It's not an egg. It's not water, ice. And, those are examples of God, the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God the Father. One God. I believe it. So the, the, the first one, the kingdom, if we, Matthew chapter 20, I think I got time, Matthew chapter 20, you, you, you've, got the, you've got the kingdom story where, where Jesus uh, talks about a, a landowner, he's a, he's a householder, the kingdom of heaven, verse 1, chapter 20, verse 1, the kingdom of heaven is like, is like a householder. And says um, so he, 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 and he needed to hire laborers for his vineyard. He's got a vineyard. It's time to harvest the grapes. And, and so he, he, he agreed with his laborers for, for a penny. It tells us here. And, and he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out the third hour and saw other people standing idly in, in the in the marketplace. And he went through the process and hired them. He hired them. He hired them. He selected them. The whole parable all the way down to the bottom. He picked out who he wanted and he rewarded them with eternal life. That's the essence of the parable. Very simply, he, he selected them. He called them to his service. He sent them out to serve. He rewarded them fairly and generously. That's a picture of election. We all get the same eternal life. 
John 15, remember that verse 16? It sticks in my mind. Jesus said to his disciples, you did what? You chose me? No. <laughs> you didn't choose me. I chose you. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you. I chose you. You didn't choose me. And, and you say, well, wait a minute. I choose you too. No, you didn't choose me. I chose you. That's what I said, Jesus said. That's how it is. In John 17, 9, he says to the Christians praying to the Father, um, does our Lord, I, I ask on, on their behalf, it's, it's a high priestly prayer of Christ's prayer. I don't ask on behalf of the world. I'm not praying for the world. There but of those whom thou hast, what? Those you've given me. I'm praying for those you've given me. The Father chose us and gave us to Christ as a love gift. He loves the Son. For they are thine. And in Acts chapter 13, interesting, 1348, Paul is preaching to the Gentiles, a big crowd on the Sabbath day, in, in verse 46 about, and you pick up the story there with Paul and Barnabas, they spoke boldly. In chapter, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. Uh, since you repudiate and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. That is, turning, you know, turning from the Jews to the Gentiles. Verse 47, for thus the Lord hath commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. And then verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were Gentiles, and when they heard this, they began rejoicing and praising the Lord, glorifying the Lord, and as many as, it says, as were ordained to eternal life. What is it? What? They believed. The chosen believed. These, those appointed to eternal life believed. In Romans 9, 14, obviously, you know, uh, you know, uh, you have the obvious antagonists where talk, when you're talking about choosing, he says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. It's God speaking. God made his choice, verse 14. What, what shall we say then? There's no justice with God, is there? Maybe never. I mean, may it, may it never be? Uh, in, 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 in the Greek it means no, no, no. That's injustice. For, 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 for he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion, which is to say, I'm going to do precisely what I want to do, God said. In verse 16, so, so then salvation doesn't depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Sovereign mercy. It's God's choice. And somebody in verse 19 says, well, then how can he find fault with somebody then? I mean, how can you resist his will? On the contrary, who are you, old man, as, as Brother, Brother Bud wrote out, who can answer back to God? Keep your mouth shut. It's because it's beyond you. The thing molded will not say, as Brother Bud said, you can't say to the molder, why did you make me thus? I mean, will it, does the potter have a right over the clay to make the same lump one vessel to honorable and the other? For common use, what if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and make his power known, endured with much patience 
vessels of wrath prepared for the destruction. God has, has just as much right to use his attribute of, of destruction and wrath and, 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 to, and, and put that on display against ungodly as he does to put on his grace and love by saving people. He's got just as much right. And, 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 and uh, if anyone here doesn't know for sure you're saved, the, the, the gate's open, says whosoever will may come, it's open at the same time. God says you can't come to anyone. You come, the door's open. The bride, the church, everyone says, come. Yes. If you don't know Jesus, come. If you're not sure, come. Thanks for letting me share with you.